Alright, so welcome back to the studio and uh, still in the mood of uh, celebration, celebrating Ghana's independence, which is tomorrow, 65 years of uh, independence as a nation. What does that really mean uh, to us? What does that mean to Ghana? What does that mean to Nigeria? And uh, many will ask, why is this so important to us? Well, Ghana is uh, the closest... um, Anglophone neighbor that we have, and we have a very close ties with Ghana as a nation called Nigeria. And of course, in addition to that, there are many Nigerians in Ghana, and definitely there are many, many Ghanaians right here in Nigeria. So what are we doing today? Now, 65 years ago, a country uh, championed the liberation of African countries from the colonial masters, while other countries like Nigeria struggle with internal cultural and geographical politics and differences, which made it impossible to achieve independence earlier. The Black Stars of Africa, Ghana, and our independence on the 6th of March in 1957. In one of several historical speeches which marked a point, or which marked different points in African history, the first president of Ghana, Osajifu Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, said, The independence of Ghana is meaningless unless it's linked with the total liberation of the African continent. Is this the liberation he meant? What we have currently in Africa, are we totally, totally liberated? Now, Ghana continues to play a leading role in African politics, especially in regional affairs. And uh, in today's interview, we'll pick the brains, the thoughts of uh, my guest on Ghana's independence journey since 1957. We'll delve into African politics and ask him what is responsible for the increase in coup d'etats and what does this development portend for democracy in West Africa. We'll also talk about the relationship between Ghana and Nigeria, which continues to look and feel estranged and fragile by the day. And I know my listeners won't forgive me if I do not elevate Nigeria Jalof over Ghana Jalof. My guest today has tasted both and I know where his bias lies. Definitely. Nigeria. My guest this morning is Honorable Samuel Nate George, popularly called Jata. Good morning, Honorable, and welcome to the show. Good morning, my brother, and good morning to um, the people of Lagos, Lagosians. How are you, Good morning to everyone. How are you doing? Grace abounds. Grace abounds. Oh. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. All right. Yeah. Okay, so it's Ghana's independence tomorrow, and uh, Ghana turns uh, 65, I believe. And um, yes. I know there's this political preparation, there's this ceremony being put together, but what does it really mean to the average Ghanaian? I mean, in view of the economy, in view of the mindset, in view of everything, how does the average Ghanaian see Ghana's independence at, at 65, rather, independence celebration? Well, um, Ghana turns 65 tomorrow, and um, it, it normally is supposed to be um, a celebration that's much marked with pomp and pageantry and and celebrations across the country in all of our 16 regional capitals and in each of our 271 district capitals as well. You'd normally have school kids take part in March past. You'd have the military and security formations also take part in um, show of strength and solidarity to the national cause. This year, government has announced that the celebrations will be, the national celebrations will be happening in the central region of Ghana, in Cape Coast, at the Cape Coast Stadium. Um... And so that's where the president will be reviewing the National Guard of Honor and mm-hmm. and, and having his speech from um, the feel on the ground, really, um, not what we've seen in past years. In fact, just yesterday, a local TV station here was running a review of social media commentary where people were saying that they weren't feeling the verve this year. Of, um, of 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 the Independence Day celebrations, you need to have something to celebrate. Mm. That's the reality, um, and I think that you you are beginning to see the younger generation of Ghana come up and and question 
the whole essence of our independence and question the whole essence of the celebration and asking what are we celebrating? Okay. Are we celebrating high unemployment? Are we celebrating the high cost of leaving? Are we celebrating the incessant bi-weekly increases in fuel prices? What exactly are we celebrating? Mm. These are the questions that the ordinary Ghanaian is asking so themselves. In so you're saying Ghanaians are not very happy with the current state? There really isn't any zest. You, you, you can't see. I mean, in previous years, you'd have seen the flag being displayed very, very prominently across the country. Um, you'd have seen major, major, major... You, you'd have seen signs. There are telltale signs when when, when the, the country is about to celebrate its, 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 its independence. This year, it's missing. Um, yesterday, we had one of our cutting razors towards the... The, the independence, which is the the annual, yeah, the annual uh, President's Cup between the two biggest rivals in Ghanaian football, Accra Hatsu Folk and Kumasi Asante Kotoko. Yeah. Um, thankfully, my team won, which is Accra Hatsu Folk. Mm-hmm. The president is a Kotoko supporter. And it was an interesting beating uh, the president's <laughs> team and having the president <laughs> present the trophy to, to, to our yeah, team in Accra. Right. Yeah, but I mean... The famous hats of yeah, the, the continental grandmasters, you know. But but the point here is, apart from the Vev, which is the normal thing between hats and Kotoko games, yeah. you, you really don't see anything that shows that really there's some celebrations going on. All right. Now, now let's look at. I mean, when the, this president came into power, he made certain statements that uh, you know resonated with a lot of people, even development partners and international community. When he said that uh, we were looking at Ghana beyond age, and that Ghana it should not be looking at collective stipends from development partners, but they are looking for actual partners, investments, and all that. Uh, how how has that journey been like? Is it really shown in the activities or in the economy in Ghana? Or could that be the, one of the reasons why uh, we're not, the economy is not doing well because aids are not coming? What's your analysis of that? Okay, so you see, I, I find myself in a very difficult position here in, during this interview because um, anytime I, I speak on international platforms, I, I seek to sell Ghana and project Ghana. Definitely. However, the 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 realities are the realities and we're currently in a place where our economy is in shambles our, our currency is, is the worst performing currency in the world um last week when 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 bloomberg and and the financial times of new york published that article that 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 put the Ghanaian city as the worst performing um, currency so far this year, my heart sank, you know, and so it's difficult to to want to sell Ghana. It would be hypocritical and dishonest of me to paint a rosy picture. Um, Ghana is a country of huge, immense potentials. Um, we, we, we can do and should do more, but currently we are not doing that. Unfortunately, our president has been a huge disappointment. Our president has been, I have been one of his biggest critics because I, I believe that he's let down the youth of this country, mm. is engaged more in soundbite politicking. And that's a typical example is what you're referencing, where he makes very flowery speeches with interesting soundbites for the media houses about Ghana beyond age and moving us from taxation to production but he's not matched his policy to his rhetoric. And so you have a government that promises a lot, that has made a lot of promises, mm-hmm. but has delivered significantly nothing. Mm-hmm. And so you, you you have the economy in 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 free fall, the currency is in free fall, you have the, the you have a huge high level of despondency among the youthful population of Ghana. And and so, yes, he, he promised Ghana beyond aid. But yeah. Ghana is highly reliant on, on, on aid. If you look at our aid portfolio mm-hmm. as, a, as a portion of our GDP, I mean, 
it tells a different story mm. because if you look at um, Ghana in in the early 2000s when President Kufour took over from President Rawlings, yeah. um, aid aid to GDP was somewhere in the region of 40 percent okay. of our of our GDP. Yeah. Um, debt to GDP in general. It, no, no, not debt to GDP. Okay. The amount of aid okay. we got okay. as All a relation right. of our, as a percentage so, of what our GDP at the time was, was about 40%. Yes. That, so you realize that largely government expenditure was 40% driven mm. by, by foreign money. Yeah. But as we moved into a lower middle income economy and did the rebasing of our economy in 2000 and, and, and 7, 2008, and then President Kofor handed to late President Mills of blessed memory. And, and Ghana's economy began to take off. And once it became middle income, we no longer had access to concessionary loans and 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 grants like we used to have. Hmm. You'd see that the curve began to shift. And by 2017, when President Akufuado took over office from President John Dramani Mahama, um, our, our percentage of foreign aid to GDP was less than 1%. Oh. We'd move from 40% to 1%. In fact, okay. total foreign aid, if you take away um, concessionary, the, the loans and, and agreements, but aid as in grants and concessionary loans mm. to Ghana's government was less than a billion in 2020. Okay. So, um, and that's excluding the COVID release and that, but like bilateral relationships and, and aids that would normally come through development partners like DFID and, and or, or the FCDO as it's called now, Danida and, 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 and CEDA and those kind of agencies, GIZ, was less than a billion Ghana cities, less than 1% of our economy. And so Ghana has really moved beyond um, taking of concessionary loans by, not by virtue of what the president said, but simply by virtue of the fact that we've become a lower middle income country. Yeah. And so you can no longer access a lot of those concessionary facilities. Okay. What that has done is, has meant that Ghana has now gone more into borrowing on the, on the international market from the Britain Wood institutions and then from the bond market. We've issued several, several bonds. Unfortunately, when you look at the kinds of rates that Ghana has mm. issued its bonds at, compared to our neighboring countries like Nigeria, um, like Senegal, Ghana's bonds have been very expensive. I mean, some of our bonds are going at about 8% and 7%. When our, our compatriots are doing 4% and 5%, and, and currently, because of the state of our economy and the fact that our economy has been downgraded by standards and pores, by Moody's, yeah. we're, we're, we're at a C, AAA, we're no longer a B-rated economy. Mm. Um, it, it is a problem. Nobody's going to borrow money to us at a premium less than 10%, which makes it untenable for us to go into the international market. So we have right. challenges with yeah. borrowing on, our, on the and, international market. I allowed you to explain all this because it's a worry, not just to Ghana, but to Nigeria and every other country in West Africa, because some of these challenges you say you're going through, we're also going through it here. And while I was doing the research on this interview, I saw uh, a feedback, a press release on the MOFEP, Ministry of uh, Finance and uh, Economic Planning a website. We talked about the debt to GDP at 78.4% in response to a Bloomberg article. And um, I saw also uh, a comment uh, yesterday on uh, from a Ghanaian where she was complaining about how much she spent on uh, transporting herself from Bombaria, which is, I believe is closer to your constituency, if I'm right, to Accra, saying yeah. that is now 10 cities. Now, I'm bringing this up because right here as well in Nigeria, we're having an increase in, in transport fares and so many activities that are happening and we're complaining. And here you are in Ghana, not just what you're saying, but what is obvious. Now, what is going on in West Africa? Is it a West African problem? Is it individual leadership problem? How did we find ourselves here? <laughs> I may say something that's very controversial and anybody who's following my politics knows this will be the first controversial thing I'm going to say. I say very controversial things that people are afraid to say, but I think that they have the truth um, and I don't filter it. I believe that it's a personal leadership problem. Mm. I mean, the problem of Africa and West Africa is our leaders, the quality and caliber of leaders that we have. Um, 
what, three years ago, yes. three years ago, your president was in Ghana and it was the stuff of memes and jokes for like two weeks in mm. Ghana when your president came to Ghana to promise our president that he was going to help him fight corruption. corruption. Mm. Yeah. I mean, with all due respect to your Nigerian it listeners. Was, it, was, it was mocked here as well. Nigerians told him to come fight the corruption I mean, here before he went. I mean, I mean... We we know we know the things going on, or we hear the things going on in Nigeria mm. relative to corruption, and to have the Nigerian president come and promise the Ghanaian president that he was going to help him fight corruption, and the Ghanaian president gleefully accepting that and and running with it and saying that, well, um, the Nigerian government was going to help Ghana fight corruption. Well, the Auditor General's report shows that three years ago wastage or loss of state funds um to corruption in in 2017 was 700 million ghana cities um less than a billion ghana cities um and to put that in context that at that time in 2007 at that exchange rate would have been somewhere in the region of about 100 million 130 million uh, us dollars that was what was lost in public funds in 2017. Fast forward three years after President Buhari's promise to President Akufuado, mm. the 2020 Auditor General report says that we lost 12 billion from 700 million to 12 billion. Okay. So we moved from losing, <laughs> we lose from mo- losing under 200 million dollars to losing equivalent of over 2 billion. US dollars. Yeah. So yeah. our corruption problem has gotten worse. Yeah. So I think it's a problem of individual leadership and the fact that we have a crop of leaders who are not, who have actually lost touch with reality. They don't understand what the young people of this of, of, of West Africa want. Mm. And you see, the problem at the base here is West Africa has a huge youthful population. Yeah. We have a huge youth bulge. It's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because you have an active, a huge active working population. The curse is we're not putting them to good use. And so because we're not putting them to good use, it's putting strain on the economy. And then you're also having challenges with crime and and rising unemployment and the despondency. And that's what's leading you to the coup d'etats around the, around the, the sub-region. Mm. Simply because we've got leaders who have lost touch. Leaders whose policies do not resonate with the ordinary people. Okay. Leaders whose heads are in the clouds and the people are wallowing on the ground. Mm. All right. Now, based on what you're saying about the youth, which is right, it's the same thing we're experiencing here. But I'm just wondering, looking at the increase in corruption, uh, should I say rates or percentages? Now, is it in Nigeria, for example, a lot of people disagree with the president, although you see certain things is done about corruption, setting up this panel. There are one or two cases people have been probed, although people want uh, the public wants a quicker response to this corruption fight. But in some cases, recently, he's been, uh, should I say, celebrated by some quarters for his attempt to fight corruption. We are seeing that. Now, in terms of Ghana, what are the, the um, what, what are we seeing? Is there any proof that government is attempting to fight corruption, though failing? Is there anything like that on the ground? Honorable? Honorable Sam George, uh, I think uh, you've muted yourself. We can hear you. If you can uh, just uh, open up to us. The Ministry oh. of Justice. Okay. Can you tell well, me again? Now you're audible. Great. Okay. Uh, I'm saying that President Akufuado promised as, uh, um, as candidate when he was running for office that he was going to set up an office of special prosecutor. Mm-hmm. That's one promise he's kept. Even though it's a promise that we thought, I, I for one, again, disagreed at when he was running. I said, we didn't need an office of special prosecutor. Okay. We have the econo- eco- economic... Organized Crimes, uh, yes, office. All right, I think you've gone off again, Honorable. Can you regulate that for us? We can hear you. Okay, great. We can hear you now. Please go ahead. Hello? Yeah, I can hear you now. Go ahead, please. Yeah. The main challenge, I, I, I hold the view... That the main challenge that Ghana has 
is the fact that uh, the main challenge we have is the fact that our Attorney General yes. is the same as the Minister for Justice. And so it makes it difficult to have someone who is a chief legal advisor to the president or to government be the same person responsible for handling the the prosecution of corruption. He cannot prosecute corrupt persons in government. And so the best thing would have been for us to have a separation of the Attorney General's office from the Ministry for, of Justice. Mm. Now you have the Office of Special Prosecutor, and the OSP takes direction from the Attorney General. So you realize that the OSP is only engaged still in political partisan prosecutions. You're not seeing any member of the president's government who is act- the people who are actually engaged in utilizing state funds. And we are seeing the, the allegations of corruption. We are seeing the incidences of corruption and public service. None of them has been prosecuted. In fact, in Ghana, the very first OSB, the very first special prosecutor, yes. actually t- resigned from office after two years and called our president the mother serpent of corruption. Hmm. Those were his, that, that was his description yes. of the president in his resignation letter. Mr. Martin Amidu, who had been a former attorney general, hmm. deputy attorney general, he said he could no longer hold that office because he realized the president was not interested in fighting corruption. The president wanted to use him to fight political battles and that he could no longer put himself as a slave to the president's malicious agenda okay. and referred to the president as the mother serpent of corruption. I mean, it was shocking. Mm. So that tells you what the fight, the so-called fight against corruption okay. is, yeah. that it really is not what it is said or made out to be. It is more of, um, well, your guess is as good as mine, political right. talk. Okay, so let, let's let's uh, dilute this discussion a bit because it's getting very intense and, uh, you know, we're digging deep into very serious, let's put it that way. Now, let's go to um, an event that made you extremely popular in Nigeria last year. Almost everybody had your name. Many didn't know your name, but had your description in their mind. They had your image in their mind and they were they kept referencing it. People were, you know, calling to say okay have you seen this video and that's the video of the interview you had with the cnn anchor larry modo on uh, your <laughs> yes on your bill the uh proper sexual rights and Ghanaian family values uh bill of 2021 yeah. uh, where yeah. are you with the bill we know that you started was it public airing uh hearing rather in november with that bill Give us an update on the bill. How has it gone? And really, what led to you setting up uh, introducing that bill? All right, basically, um, we, we, we've always known that we, we had um, persons who were en- engaged in homosexuality in our country. I mean, we won't play the ostrich. Our laws found on it, Section 104 of, of Act 29, which is the Criminal Offences Act of Ghana, um, criminalizes homosexuality in all uh, in all shapes and forms. Uh, because of the 1960 law, it, it is limited in its application in, in court. Now, what we then saw was in January of last year, we saw the Australian, the then Australian High Commissioner, the Danish Ambassador, um, and the Rep of the European Union mm-hmm. go to open an LGBTQ advocacy office in conjunction with local NGOs. And there was mad uproar in Ghana. I mean, if you read the Vienna Convention, for example, Article 42 of the Vienna Convention prohibits diplomats from engaging in activity or supporting activity that is illegal in their host country. Mm. Homosexuality is illegal in Ghana. So why should a diplomat, high-ranking diplomats, ambassadors themselves, not just fund, but physically be present at that? I mean, the F country... You wouldn't have seen the Ghanaian or Nigerian ambassador to the United States go and open an advocacy office for the promotion of homos- of, of, of polygamy mm-hmm. because polygamy is illegal in those countries. Mm-hmm. How would you have? How would the Americans have reacted, or the Australians have reacted, um, or the Danish, where if, if the Ghanaian or Nigerian ambassador had taken part in demonstrations against their occupation of Iraq mm-hmm. when they went in under the guise of taking out Saddam Hussein? 
they wouldn't have taken it lightly. And so I made a statement on the floor of parliament um, about two weeks later, and I called for the expulsion of the ambassadors and called for our national security apparatus to immediately move in and shut down the office because it was illegal and we would not allow it. And I indicated that giving legal precedence in the country, it had become clear that our laws were inadequate to prosecute the newer versions of homosexuality like transgender and all of those other new forms of lunacy that people are calling a way of life. And so and so I said notice that I was going to sponsor a private members bill and Thankfully, the government acted. National security moved in immediately, shut down the officers. Um, the ambassadors were not expelled anyway, even though I wasn't happy. However, we've had a running, I've had a running battle with the Australian High Commissioner, and he's finally been recalled by, by Cranberry. Uh, he's been, okay. Can, uh, Canberra, he's been recalled to Australia. He's been taken out of Ghana because we've said we would not have him and accord him many diplomatic rights here as mm. citizens of our country. And, and so he's been recalled. What are you talking about? Myself and like-minded Ghanaians, which okay. is 93% of Ghanaians, 93% of Ghanaians in, an, in a CDD, which is a CDD is a, is a pro-right wing. So they are pro-LGBTQ. They support their position is that they support LGBTQ on, on this matter. Yeah. They are policy think tank. But even they, when they did their own research, found out that 93% of Ghanaians do not support homosexuality. So, um, Ghanaians just did not support that position. And and so we, myself and seven other colleagues, put together this bill and mm-hmm. put it before Parliament. We we have gone through the processes. Now, Parliament is a very... Because it's a private member's bill, the, the processes are very cumbersome and laborious and, and quite expensive. But we've taken our time. We're going through it. Um, it's gone through the first reading in Parliament. It's been referred to the committee... Mm. The committee is doing the committee calls for memos because you see again we didn't want it to appear as though we we didn't want to give anybody a hearing mm. and so everybody was given an opportunity yeah. members of the academia civil society the united nations themselves the undp in ghana the country rep of the undp uh, the highest ranking un official in ghana was present to present a memo um where they disagreed with our bill and we debated them you know, and they've come to they've come to say to us, okay, we're ready to work with you. We understand where you're coming from. How can we ensure human rights? And we've always said to them, look, homosexuality is not human right. right. It absolutely is not a human right, and and that's the fundamental position of our bill that homosexuality or or or, or, or sexual identity as yeah. the gender identity which is what they are claiming is different from sex and and i'll just digress here for one minute the basis of this is that people are calling gender gender a human right or claiming that it is a constitutional right i keep saying that when you take all the international charters be that the united nations declaration on human rights or the international covenant on civil and political rights or economic and and cultural rights or the african charter on human and people's rights any of those charters you take or the constitution of ghana it states the grounds on which you cannot discriminate against a person. Mm. It says you can't discriminate against a person on the basis of their race, their ethnicity, their religion, their sex. Mm. It doesn't say gender. Okay. Now, there's a difference between sex and gender. Sex is a biological construct that defines and categorizes the human race into three different groups. Okay. Male, female, and what we have come to call intersex, or what previously we used to call hermaphrodites. So they are the freaks of nature, where you realize that you're either male or female, but you see that one in about a million would always occur where the person is showing the physical traits of one gender, one of the binary genders, either male or female, but their hormonal makeup, is different from what they are seeing. And that's where the intersex thing comes. So you realize that the person is, has a male organ, but is very effeminate. They don't have the requisite levels of testosterone. They rather have higher levels of estrogen. And there are medical ways of, 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 of determining what is the predominant um, gene or hormonal makeup and do the sequencing. And you can actually do the correction of 
all of these anomalies. Right, it's possible. Right, honorable. So Medically. As, it, as it stands now, um, of course, I haven't heard that I, I read uh, an interview with uh, the CEO of uh, the Mental Health Authority, Dr. Akwesiose, yes. where he says uh, say, yeah. Yeah, it's not that it's not about, uh, it's not nature, that 93% <laughs> of it is learnt. And I just six point seven percent is nature and all that. So right now, uh, okay, yeah, go ahead. You were going to say something quickly. I was just going to say that until nineteen seventy one, yes. in the United States, homosexuality was considered a mental illness. Hmm. Now the decision to move it away from a mental illness like schizophrenia and make it a human right. Okay. We've lost it was, you again. It was, okay, vote, it was a right. vote of Congress. Okay. It so was now, just a vote of Congress. Congress made a vote. So okay. it was not a scientific decision. It was a political decision. So there's no science backing the claim that it is a biological thing. It's, it's not biological. Okay, it's so length. as it stands, where are you? Um, the race is still on. Uh, are you losing steam? Are you winning more people on your side? Where exactly are we're, you? We're not losing steam at all. The problem with Ghana, it's not a problem. The structure of Ghana's parliament, parliament is that our meeting, the third meeting of the session, which is from October to December, is normally our budget hearing, our budget meeting. So you hardly have any bills go through because the focus of parliament and its committees is on is on the budget. And you, those who follow Ghanaian politics realizes that our last budget was very chaotic, led to scenes of fighting in Parliament and all of that. And so that has taken preeminence over everything. But even when we resumed this year, we've had another sitting. We, I think we have, we're left to two more public sittings. Okay. And after that, the committee is going to move straight into conclave and start the clause by clause. I'm hoping that before the end of this year, we should complete the process. All right. So, so we'll be on standby for that. Now, and... Um... We're looking at, they're assuming we have very little time to go now. Okay, let's do this quickly. Uh, it's been about 16, 17 months since the passing of uh, flight left Jerry John Rollins, who is the founder of your party, and we know how vocal he is in politics. Is Ghana missing his presence and his words right now? I, I'll, I'll find it hard to say, and may the soul of flight lieutenant jerry rollins rest in peace i mean he's someone i respected so much i named my first son after him okay. my first son is called jeremiah yeah, right. you know um we, we i wouldn't say we are missing him reason i won't say we are missing him is because he's larger than life he's his his legacy is eternal okay and so he may not be here but the principles for which he stood the okay. principles on which he founded our party probity accountability social justice are principles that leave even after him and so he may not be with us physically but we don't miss him because his work his words his legacy live on and so yes he leaves in our hearts and leaves in public discourse every day Hmm. okay so now let's do a bit of west africa before we let you go and uh we've had uh, guinea mali burkina faso and we've had an attempted one in Guinea-Bissau, Chad, and neighboring uh, regions are there, and there's Sudan. All these people have experienced coup d'etat in the last two years or thereabouts. What is responsible for this trend? What does it really mean to West Africa? And if you look at this pattern, all these countries are Francophone countries, with the exception of Guinea-Bissau. Are Anglophones safe? So it's like two questions in one. Well, um, I was going to say, I don't know what our French brothers have been drinking, but clearly um, clearly, there's something going on in Francophone Africa. And I think it's a failure of French foreign policy. Okay. When I say French foreign policy, I mean France. Hmm. Um, France has had this, um, this, uh, this penchant for being active in the operations of this countries and it appears that they have had a number of puppet masters uh, or puppets that have been controlled by the puppet master in france now don't forget earlier on in this conversation we spoke about the challenge of the youth bulge having a very youthful population a population that's becoming more savvy 
a population okay. that is not as connected to France as their parents were. Okay. Their parents went to school in France. Their parents see France as the home mother, the real motherland, as a big uncle or big auntie. And so you realize that you have a newer generation that's questioning the role of France. France keeping 60% of those countries' reserves in the, in, in the Central Bank of France. People are beginning to question the relationship between their, their, their very grown, old, presidents mm. who want to please france rather than the youth of the country and people are beginning to question that and so they are beginning to they, you're beginning to see tension simmer in those countries and you're beginning to see the military take advantage of it however a larger part of the problems and upheavals we're seeing like it or not is linked to the fall of libya okay the fall of libya has created instability in the sahel part of africa and what you have is you have unnecessarily huge amounts of weapons in that region. Mm. Now, you've also seen with the collapse of ISIS in the Middle East, you've seen the movement and migration of terror-based organizations into the Sahel. Because, because, it's being, because the strongman of that area, Gaddafi, who didn't allow for such activities, Islamic mm. fundamentalism of the kind we see in ISIS happened there. He's no longer there. He's been taken out by the West. Yeah. There is really no strongman in that part of the country or, or of the continent. You are having these Islamic groups come in there and, and, and forgive me, I, I, we call them Islamic groups, even though I, dis, I disagree with that description okay. because many of, many of those groups use Islam as a font. Mm. What they do is actually not proper Islam. They're just extremists. Okay. So I mean, let's let's call them extremists because I think right. it's it's it's, it's not more, fair to Islam. It better. Yeah. Exactly. You see these extremists who are actually coming into those areas and using those the instability in those areas to foment the troubles that they want to foment. And so what you're seeing is a growing a growing niche mm. of instability in that in that in part that of area. the country where okay. the military is beginning to rise up and take out Presidents who have overstayed their welcome, mm. presidents who are amending the constitution to run for, give themselves lifelong limits or run for third terms yeah. and fourth terms. And, you know, that's the problem of ECOWAS. ECOWAS is headed by the Ghanaian president. Yeah. They said nothing when the Senegalese, uh, the, sorry, the, the, the Guinean president yes. changed the constitution and, and said he was going to run for a third time, Alpha Conde. Where was ECOWAS? ECOWAS was quiet. They didn't say anything about it. Hmm. Then when the military steps in and kicks him out because he had subverted the constitution, you, you then say you are, you are imposing sanctions on the military. I mean, it's the hypocrisy of, of ECOWAS. But are we safe? We are not safe. Hmm. Because okay. the military across the, 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 the continent or the sub-region is looking at the actions there. But all I will say to our, our, our men, our gallant men in uniform is we love you. We respect your service. Your role is external aggression the rule take over the reins of government we hope that they stay in the barracks and continue to protect us their roles are not in the presidency what they should do is join the young people of this country to engineer and inspire change using the democratic process which is the ballot box all right now i I wanted us to take like 20 minutes discussing ghana nigeria relations but of course we don't have the time now because you have another interview we'll have to let you go we can do another we can do another 10 minutes 10 minutes are great thank you for that now I, I did a documentary on Ghana about 10 or 12 years ago when we were looking at the history of filmmaking in Ghana. And then I interviewed uh, Reverend uh, Chris Hesse, uh, Kwame Nkrumah's photographer, Jerry, Jerry John Rollins' photographer. He was a photographer for about three or four presidents. Now, he made mention of one thing. He said that uh, the relationship between Nigeria and Ghana is so profound that a lot of people do not know that during Ghana's independence, Kwame Nkrumah brought professional cameramen from Nigeria to come support the Ghanaians in filming the video. And that during Nigeria's independence, Nigeria also brought in professional cameramen from Ghana to Nigeria to film the video, which pertains that, which means that both of them were self-sufficient, but they had this brotherly love. But now that seems to be fading away. Uh, let's, uh, you know, break it down to Ghana now where we're having shops being locked down. There are still some shops that are locked down till now. And what is responsible for this? And what is the way out? 
<laughs> there appears to have become, in some stage, in some phases, a healthy competition. In some phases, an unhealthy competition between Ghana and Nigeria. Um, uh, Nigeria thinks that they have a big brother. Ghana also thinks that, no, we are the older brother. And so um, what you have is this this kind of competition. I must give it to the Nigerian creative industry that there's been remarkable growth and rise in the Nigerian creative industry. I mean, your music, your your movies. In the same time, we haven't seen commensurate growth in, in Ghanaian industry, and that's because of lack of investment. Um, Hello, I know that years ago, we, we, we used to have huge productions from Ghana make their way into Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Ghanaian highlight was was the big thing in Nigeria. Exactly. Um, you don't have that anymore. You, you now see, in fact, the Ghanaian musical community is complaining that Ghanaian radio is largely Nigerian music driven. Sixty to seventy percent of our content is Nigerian music, mm-hmm. and 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 they're beginning to complain about that. But I think that what we should begin to see is more collaboration, a lot more collaboration where we can we can we can grow the industry together in both countries. Okay. Nigeria has got a huge market, um, and this is this is going to lead me to an issue that you may not have raised, but you realize that even when it comes to trade, yes. Recently, there was a there's been the standoff in Ghana. We we're using our, our GUTA, the Ghana Union of Traders Association, yes, yes. is going after Nigerians and mm-hmm. in, in in retail that business. Coming to that, yes, yeah. You see, the, the thing is, we need to sit down as the two countries and talk. Nigeria has a market that is huge, huge untapped potentials for Ghana, mm. but you need to ask yourself. And and here, I'm going to be brutally frank with Nigeria. Okay, Nigeria is listening to me. You've not been fair to Ghanaian businesses. How is that? Look at how many Nigerian banks operate in Ghana. Yes. And tell me how many Ghanaian banks operate in Nigeria. And it's not that Ghanaian banks don't have the capacity to come in there. Mm. One of the Ghanaian businesses that is global yeah. is the Casapreco company. Mm-hmm. They make Alumo beaters. Yes. The difficulty Casapreco is having functioning and working in Nigeria Several times he's thought of pulling out. He's come to Parliament several times mm. to ask us to intervene. It's as though there is a consented effort to frustrate Ghanaian businesses. Another huge Ghanaian business, Zoom Lion, yeah. who's tried to come into Ghana, uh, into Nigeria, Nigeria mm. uh, bring his banking business into, he's got a bank into Nigeria, yeah. has been frustrated. And we have these stories. There's several of these stories I can give you of Ghanaian mm. It's as though there are intentional red tapes to, to being put the way businesses. to frustrate those businesses. Mm-hmm. And, and it's unfair. And that's the reason why it makes it difficult for us to also rein in people who say, our laws are clear. Yes. Our laws say that you cannot have foreigners engaged in retail business. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay? That's what our laws say. Yeah. You can't have foreigners engaged in retail business. Yeah. And so Nigerians cannot engage in retail business. Mm-hmm. So, Guta is actually right by law. Right. However, however, if if there was better understanding and better synergy between yes. the two countries when it came to business, you would realize that some of these things would not necessarily be an issue. Definitely. And so, if, and so for me, yeah. I think that we just need to look at how we can build the synergies. Okay. And and it's good to even raise that because um that that's why it's such interviews are important. We might even be having a a broader conversation with uh, uh, authorities on both sides to see bring all these worries to the table because what you're saying now, if you hear reports from Nigerian companies over there, I've heard some banks that have complained about certain things when uh the uh, Speaker of Parliament of Nigeria came there, and I remember vividly how Standard Bank, uh, Standard Trust Bank, struggled for so many years before they could even get their license. Is it possible that looking at how competitive the Nigerian market is and the lack of, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, communication, that that's one of the reasons Ghanaians feel they are targeted? Because exactly what Ghanaians are complaining about, there are so many Nigerian companies that are saying they are frustrated, even doing business in their home country, Ghana. So I'm just saying that probably these are some of the conversations we should have in, in balancing out the perceived dislike or 
um, prevention to work on both sides. And having said that, maybe you can answer these two together. A committee was set to have, was set up from both sides, both parliaments, trying to oversee this trade dispute. I mean, the one million for a Nigerian whose business is worth about 100000 and you expect to bring $1 million to trade and all this. How far has the committee gone and what has been the outcome? I know they had a meeting, I think, towards the end of last year. What has come out of all these meetings? Well, the committee is still looking at how to streamline this, you know, because, like I said, the position of having a million dollars of seed capital before you can, as a foreigner, before you can do business is enshrined in Ghanaian law. Yes. It is not necessarily targeting Nigeria. It is, and it's for everybody. Mm. You understand me? Now, if we have to do an exemption to it, if we have to look at the new, the new paradigm, which is AFTA, the African mm-hmm. Free Common Trade Area, yes. and all of that, and, and, and what that portends for us, we need to have a broader conversation by way of policy, but it must be reciprocal. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a typical example. I drove to Nigeria sometime in 2015. Okay. At the time, I was working in the office of the president. Mm-hmm. I drove my official government of Ghana office of the president vehicle. Yeah. I drove myself. When I got to all the borders across in Togo and Republic of Benin. I showed the car paper documents. I showed my identity. I was allowed through. Mm. When I got to Nigeria, and I had actually gone to the Nigerian High Commission in Ghana to speak to them and say, I'm driving to Nigeria. I'd had a similar experience before. And the head of commerce, the commercial attaché, actually gave me a note saying, look, left this vehicle through. When I got to Semeboda with my official vehicle, I was stopped at border and made to put down a bond in 2015 of three thousand dollars before i was allowed to drive in explanation given to me was i could be bringing the car into nigeria to sell and i said this is an official government of ghana car this is it's impossible it, it will make no business sense for me to come and to import a car into ghana and, and come and sell it. in nigeria because import duties in ghana are higher than in nigeria mm. But it made no sense mm-hmm. to the officers there. Even when I showed uh, the letter from the commercial attaché, I was refused. I was told he's sitting in Ghana, they are at Semen. Mm. So it is all of this kind of that bottleneck yes. that we need yes. to address. Mm. If we don't have reciprocity, if we don't see actual action on the part of the Nigerian market, yeah, and yeah. every market is going to try to protect its locals as Definitely. well. Ghana is just a population of 33 million people. Mm. Nigeria has a population in excess of 200 million people. So if anybody is going to be looking for better access into a market, it's Ghanaians looking to come in there mm. because that's a bigger market. But definitely, the Nigerian core businesses, that, and like I say, Zenit Bank is here. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, First National Bank. You've mm-hmm. got several Nigerian banks in but here. You know we have Access Bank. Bank Financial Services here, although it's no more functioning though. It was here in a very vantagely positioned. And we have some Ghanaian businesses. But, I mean, th- this conversation on that line will continue forever sure. until we bring this to an end. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you just this last question before I leave the studio for my colleague to come take over. A um, few weeks ago, we heard this Ghana card becoming a travel... Uh, uh, what document and Nigerians are very excited, even bashing the government here and everything. Then later, there was this report that uh, uh, was it immigration or ministry or foreign affairs says, Well, maybe it's at a higher power um, a level, they are not aware of that. Then later on, we had immigration issue some statements saying that these cars could be used, but for now, should be used in ECOWAS. But it's generally admitted in 40,000. Could you clear the air on this? What really is the Ghana card used for? How is it used? Well, the Ghana card is supposed to be a national identity card. Yeah. Uh, it's supposed to be a 3D embed- chip and embedded card that would carry and replace all existing biometric cards. Mm-hmm. It's, again, another project that is that, that, that is a laudable project. The project that started under President Kufo Kufo, yeah. in 2007 mm-hmm. was continued by President Mills and President Mahama. This government has come and rebranded it and is running with it. But that's the problem. They, they create mirage things that don't exist. The Ghana card is not a travel document. And ICAO had to come up and put up an, an, a, a, a disclaimer and say that you can only use it as a, as a travel document if there's a bilateral relationship between an agreement between two countries. You know there are countries where you can fly into without the visa. Yes, yes. 
holding your country's passport. That's yeah. a bilateral relationship. You don't need a visa between Ghana and Nigeria. That's mm-hmm. because we have a 90-day bilateral free travel arrangement. Yeah, cool, so yeah. if Ghana and Nigeria agree that <clears throat> Ghanaians coming into Nigeria can come in with their Ghana card, then that becomes a travel document only for the purposes of Ghana and Nigeria travel. Okay. But it doesn't mean that the Ghana card is a, is a global travel document. Okay. Do, do you get the point that we're making? Yes, but that's the, yes. that's, the, that's the confusion that was put out by the vice president's office and they've had to walk back their talk. You know, he came out and said you could travel to 44,000 airports across the country with mm. the Ghana card. I mean, how, how do you show up at GFK or Heathrow and you don't have a passport and you say, this is my Ghana card? They'll put you in the cargo compartment of a plane and send you back. <laughs> Honorable. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't even know where to start from with this. But it's been a pleasure having you on the program. And I dare say that what pleasure, my, my listeners don't know is that you actually have a thing or a link to Nigeria. Tell us about that. Your youthful age, I said you used to preach in Nigeria then. I, I grew up, I actually grew up in Nigeria. I, I grew up here? in Nigeria states. No, I was born in Ghana, okay. but I came to Nigeria as the youngest, two years old, and I was there till I was almost fifteen and had to come to the university. So I had all my education. I, I attended Moli um, uh, Moli International School in okay. in, in Ajawa State. Okay. From there, I went to Grace High School in Bagada, mm. um, and then ended up at uh, Command Secondary School, so, so Nafri, the Oshodi Base. Let me ask you: So, so you're buying she mm-hmm. you buying your dad? Yoruba me, Yoruba and Wapa. Wapa, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not as fluent as it used to be, but I'm so dear, dear. You know, I've got a few Nigerian friends that I, I, I speak with. And, and once in a while, I try to still speak the Nigerian pigeon. You know, the okay. Nigerian pigeon is different from the Ghanaian pigeon. True, true, so yeah. when I came to Ghana, I had to learn the Ghanaian pigeon. And I, I try to, to refresh my memory with the mm. Nigerian pigeon from time yeah, to time. Right. Yeah, but. So don't, don't worry, like, like, like it's done in the West, now that you're flying high in Ghana, we'll claim you as one of our sons. <laughs> well, you know, when people find out that I lived in Nigeria, yeah. then they say in Ghana, they say, aha, now we understand because your disposition is not 100% Ghanaian. <laughs> you know, you have that, 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 that verb, that aggression of Nigeria. I said, ah. <laughs> so when, when, when you, when you were growing up in school and they always call you a Morgana, you have to make sure that, that you are, you are wild, you yeah, know. Wild, but yeah, Lagos, yeah. Lagos, Lagos was a good place to live in and, and I have very fond memories and, mm. And my life was shaped in Lagos. And so it's, it's part of the reason why I, I keep hoping and praying that Nigeria reaches its full potential. Definitely. Nigeria is a, is a country of, is a blessed country with great potential and immense opportunities. Great. I just wish that everybody would get a share of it and that we would, we would see Nigeria take its rightful place as the giant of Africa. You know, that Monica, the sleeping giant, <laughs> but the giant has to wake up. The giant has been sleeping for it too long, man. You need to wake up. You need to wake up. Thank you so much for that time. We really appreciate the time you spent with us. Yeah, but today. before I go, let me just yes. state it. Ghanaian jollof is the ish, man. Ghanaian okay. jollof. Okay. Mean, and mean, especially the Ghanaian jollof made by my wife. Nobody can with hear you now. Plenty. Ghanaian jollof made by my wife with goats. Goat, proper goat meat goat and meat, plenty uh, pepper. Okay. That is it. And then you top it up with a glass of Coca-Cola. I then you can't go wrong with it. <laughs> Thank you, Honorable. Do have a fantastic Thank day. Thank you for the time you spent with us. This is mine. <laughs>